Guys, so today we continue with uh, the second part of Kadosh. We started that last night. And uh, you will have a better context of the second part, obviously, if you go and listen to the first part, because we tried defining what holiness is cause, and what a holy God is last night. So this is the second part of it, Kadosh 2. So here's the thing, guys. A holy God is utterly incapable of an unholy act. A holy God is utterly incapable of an unholy act. And strangely enough, the word that's most powerful there is an, as in, till today, he has never done anything that is crooked, that is unright, that is not absolutely perfect. A holy God is utterly incapable. It is the one thing that God is incapable of utterly incapable of an unholy act. And it's not even as if he set the standard so that he could meet it. It wasn't in a setting of standard. He is holy. This isn't someone setting a set of rules to live by. This is someone who is life, who is pure, who is perfect, who, like we said yesterday, is transcendent, is separate, is blameless, is creator. So, in, in his eyes, in the eyes of this transcendent, separate, blameless creator, it's so hard to fathom this. On one hand, I'm saying transcendent. On the other hand, I'm also saying he lives within me. This transcendent, separate, blameless creator who lives in me, in his eyes, a sin, a sin. Again, the word, the most important word here is a sin. It's not sins. It's not occasional sins. Even a sin is an act of defiant opposition, of defiant opposition against the one to whom I owe everything, the one to whom I owe everything. This transcendent, this blameless, this separate creator, the one who made me, made you, in his eyes, and he's the one who lives in me, in his eyes, a, a sin, a sin, not sins, a sin, is an act of defiant op opposition against the one to whom I owe everything. I exist because he allows. And he's a good God too. And this struggle between his righteousness, th this struggle between his righteousness and my unrighteousness causes sometimes fear, sometimes anger, sometimes blame and sometimes hostility in our hearts. It seems impossible that we can live up to the standards or the requirements of this God and because of our inability to do that, it causes anger, it causes fear, it causes blame, it causes hostility against this God. 
And, and we saw that with Adam, as soon as he sinned and he fell, and he could no longer correspond the way he used to with God, he immediately begins to blame God or blame his wife. He begins to hide. There's fear, there's anger, there's hostility. And even as I'm speaking now, and even today, that's what happens. So many times I've heard this, eh? What do you expect of me, O oh God? What does God expect of me? Uh, 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 I may sin occasionally. It's almost like the moment his righteousness and my unrighteousness clash, there's rancor or resentment that arises in my heart, and I've got to be rid of it. Because as long as that kind of feeling comes up because of my because of my liking for what is wrong, I'll always keep this holy God at a distance. And the problem with keeping a holy God at a distance is you can never walk in holiness as long as you keep a holy God at a distance. His holiness has to wrap you like a mist, like a fog, just completely surround you. And once you begin to taste the benefits of His holiness, once you begin to, like we said yesterday, see who He is and see who you are and see how Christ bridges that gap, you begin to pursue holiness. It is the holiness of God that exposes sin, eh? And it exposes sin as more than just humanness. It exposes sin more than just bad karma. It exposes sin more than just a broken set of rules. It exposes sin more than just calling it bad behavior that you can afford because of cheap grace. The problem with cheap grace in the church is that cheap grace never emphasizes the holiness of our God. Cheap grace only emphasizes the goodness and the love of our God. It never shows us the holiness of God and therefore breaking a set of rules or bad behavior can be afforded because of the goodness and the grace of a God who is never presented as holy. If there is no holy, there is no judgment. If there is no holy, there is no mercy. If there is no holy, there is no cross. If there is no holy, there is no crucified king. If there is no holy, there is no beautiful savior. If there is no holy, Krishna, Buddha and Allah from the council of gods would be sufficient. Really, that would be enough. Let me say that again. It is the holiness of God that exposes sin as more than just mere human error, more than just karma more than just a broken set of rules, more than just bad behavior that you can afford because of cheap grace. If there is no holy, there is no judgment because nothing has to be judged. If there is no holy, there is no mercy need to be shown after judgment because there is nothing to be merciful towards. Man can do what he wants. If there is no holy, there is no need for a cross or a crucified king. If there is no holy, there is no beautiful redeemer, savior. If there is no holy, Krishna, Buddha or Allah is enough. 
they make up the council of gods and they are enough. They are sufficient. Really, do you want that exchange? I'm angry at the thought. But that is what I'm settling for. Man, I want a God who is good and full of grace but not holy. Because there are enough gods who can be good, gracious, but not holy. There are enough gods around. Our God is distinct in this. He is holy, therefore he judges. He is holy, therefore he judges and has to show mercy. He is holy and therefore he judges and because he is just in showing mercy, he has to pay the price. He is holy and therefore he judges, he shows mercy, he pays the price on the cross. He is holy and therefore he judges, he shows mercy, he pays the price on the cross and then redeems, ransoms. He is holy, therefore he judges, he shows mercy, he pays the price on the cross, he redeems and then comes and lives in you. This transcendent God who is separate, who is perfect, who is straight, who is, who, who is absolutely pure. This same transcendent, separate God now comes and lives in me. And therefore there is an expectation from this God that Jacob, I want you to begin to both have a respect for my holiness and I want you to begin to walk in my holiness. Our salvation message must perhaps begin with a holy God who loves, not just a loving God who forgives. Our salvation message should perhaps begin by presenting a holy God who loves instead of only presenting a loving God who forgives. That's what we do. We present a loving God who forgives. But what about, about a holy God who still loves despite? But has to pay a price to forgive and decides to pay the price. We said yesterday that the word kadosh means separated. Separated. Kadosh means separated. Separated. Salvation is really a setting apart. What happens in salvation? You get saved and you now are set apart like your God. You are set apart. Salvation means to set apart. If you go to the book of Exodus, what was God doing with Israel? God was drawing out a people from Egypt and calling them a chosen people. He was separating for himself a chosen people. And then what was he doing? He was setting them apart as a holy nation. Which is why in Leviticus 11.44 he says to them, Listen, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you my chosen. I'm calling you a, a, a kingdom of priests. I'm drawing you out. I'm separating you. I'm making you a holy nation. And therefore, be holy because I am holy. Even the word ecclesia, the Greek word for church, what does it mean? It means a called out people. A called out people, separated the idea of kadosh is so uh, like a um, thread that weaves through everything that we are as a people. A distinct people. We said yesterday that holiness is not one of the attributes of God. It is the very essence of deity because his attributes have holy before them. He has holy love. He has holy kindness. He has holy knowledge. He makes holy judgments. It's the essence of deity. 
And therefore, a people must realize that this is the essence of their lives too. 1 Peter 2.9 You are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart for him, man. Called out. The Bible calls us saints. Can you imagine Saint Don, Saint Jacob? The Bible calls us saints because we have been consecrated to God, set apart for a different life. That's why we are called saints. In the, in the world today, we don't call anyone saint because saints seems to be highly separated, pious, devoted, holy lives. And yet the Bible calls us that, as in God calls us that. Hey, Saint Jacob, sure father. Now what does it mean that the idea of calling us saints is that we have been consecrated to God? set apart to a different life. And this was the call that was first given to Adam. The call to holiness was first given to Adam and Eve. They were formed in the image of God, called to mirror God's character. Called to mirror God's character. And we are saying that the essence of deity is holy. The essence of deity is holy. Adam and Eve were supposed to show the world this character of God in everything they did. There was supposed to be a holiness that was reflected through Adam and Eve. It's an ancient calling. It's not a new calling. Holiness is not a requirement for Christian living. Holiness is the essence of Christian living. It is a setting apart. It is a being called out. It is a being different. It is a blamelessness in the way we walk. It is what makes us counterculture. It is what makes us belong to someone whose essence is holy. Why is he bringing this up right now? Because I think what he wants to do with us requires holiness. You cannot deal with anything dark, evil, decaying, disease, damaged, in bondage, without aligning with the holiness of God. You cannot. One of the statements Jesus makes in Luke, I think, was uh, the prince of the world is coming, the prince of darkness is coming, but he has nothing in me. Why is he bringing it up right now? Because I think he expects us as a people to prescribe to this. Expects us as a people to step up like this. Not one or two individuals. He's so tired of one or two individuals representing uh, him. He wants people to represent him. He never said, I want a holy Moses. He said, I want a holy nation. He didn't say, I want a holy Peter. Unfortunately, only Peter is called Saint Peter. What about Saint Jacob and Saint Jeremy and Saint Praful? What we don't realize, guys, is when we sin as image bearers of God, when we sin as image bearers of God, we are saying to creation, this is how your creator behaves. When we sin, when, I, when we sin, when we sin as image bearers of God, when we sin as image bearers of God, we are saying to creation, we are saying to creation, we are saying to creation, 
What do you mean creation? We are saying to creation as in the created order. We are saying to birds, animals, humans, nature, everything that was made for man and placed under his stewardship and dominion in Genesis 1. Where God said, I will make man in my image and my likeness. And I'll place him here and I'll put all this under his charge. Dominion was not a problem because it was a holy dominion. Stewardship was not a problem because it was holy stewardship. There was no fear of man damaging or sabotaging or taking advantage of the environment because God is a holy environmentalist. Everything he does is straight and perfect. And God is, uh, what happens is when we sin as image bearers of God, uh, I'm talking about Christians now. When we sin as image bearers of God, because we are the ones whose image has been restored, when we sin as image bearers of God, we are saying to creation, this is what our God behaves like. This is what our God behaves like. Look into this mirror and you will see his character. What we don't realize is that in Romans 8 verse 20 or thereabouts, 19 to 21, it actually says that creation is waiting. Creation is eagerly waiting. Creation is eagerly expecting the revealing of the sons of God. Because creation is hoping that the freedom and the glory that is seen in us will set creation free from bondage and decay. Just ponder on that for a while. That in a world that is diseased, damaged, decayed, facing death, and demonized, the only ones who can bring relief to the earth are the people of God, are the people of God in whom God dwells. And creation around you longs for it. The city longs for it. Why? Because it says in Romans 8, 19 to 21, that creation is expectantly waiting for the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God. So that the freedom and the glory that they walk in will liberate the earth from decay and bondage. A day is coming when that will happen. But as we progress towards the day, we are not supposed to sit on our backsides and do nothing, but to show the earth what freedom and glory looks like. And there is no freedom and no glory for a people who belong to a holy God unless they walk in holiness. That is when freedom and glory express, it, express themselves. Like I said yesterday, what did Adam have with this transcendent separate God? Absolutely holy till the fall. And what, how heavy was the loss Adam suffered? We talked about that yesterday. So go listen to it. It's, it's surprising how if I live a holy life, you as a church will be affected. I can guarantee that. Any increase in the holiness of my life will affect this church right down through. And by the same token, any decrease in my life in terms of its holiness will affect this church right all the way through. It says in Proverbs 
14.34, that righteousness exalts a nation. And that unrighteousness tears it down. You have no idea what 50 righteous people can do to a city. They can save the city. You see that in Genesis 18, where uh, in verse 24, Abraham is saying to God, is there any chance that this city can be spared if we have 50 righteous? He brings it down to 10 or 5, I think. By the same token, a husband in a family, a teacher in a school, based on the way they walk out their holiness, affect the people around and under them and above them. This idea of sin in the camp, which now churches don't want to talk about because uh, we don't want to put the guilt of sin on people. The idea of sin in the camp was so prevalent in the Old Testament because the sin of a ruler, of a leader, of a uh, people could ruin the entire nation. You know what happened with Achan? What then happens when a people begin to decide to live holy? It affects their surroundings, their immediate surroundings. It affects their radius of influence. What is my radius of influence? Depending on my radius of influence, a life that is aligned in holiness with a holy God who is transcendent, who is separate, who is super powerful, super good. That God begins to flow through me unhindered when my life is aligned with his holiness and the radius of my influence and everything in it, everyone in it, inanimate and animate, is affected by it. We must live out our calling and inheritance. How can you say holiness is our inheritance? Because the Bible says in Matthew 5, 48 and in uh, 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, it says that your father is holy. If my father is holy, then part of the inheritance I receive is holiness. If my father is holy, anything I receive from him is holy. I'm supposed to live out my inheritance. Matthew 5, 48 talks about God being perfect. Telios is a word used there. In a word, what I'm saying is, uh, let me see, Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. First Peter uh, 1, 14 to 16. Let's read it from the message. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. So roll up your, uh, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. Live out your calling and inheritance and you will steward the earth well. Ah, mine is not to steward the earth well. Mine is just to steward my life and my family's life. That is highly self-centered. You are called to steward the earth. 
Holiness is really not about your life. Holiness is aligning with a God so that God can do what he wants here on earth. Any questions, guys? Ah, sometimes I wish you were here in person so you could ask questions. Guys, have an intolerance and an irritated, annoyed attitude towards in unholiness, eh? Somehow there's a tolerance for it. You've got to not have a tolerance for it. It's okay to tolerate a child who... Um, perhaps isn't behaving well but my God as a child grows up if you keep tolerating it not good so how do we live out holiness how do we live out holiness you know what I feel uh, what I feel is that at Acts 29 Given what we've been given over all these years, God wants us to know that you're on a short leash when it comes to unholiness. You're on a short leash when it comes to unholiness. As in, I've taught you too much, Jacob. Now, if you decide to walk in tolerant unholiness, I have you on a short leash. I won't give you too much latitude. I'll use whatever means to bring you back into a walk that is separate and distinct. Because I've put far too much into you, Acts 29. It's a prophetic warning, guys. And as your pastor, I'm okay with it for myself and for the church because we live in such times that God desperately needs a people who will be a holy people so he can be a holy powerful God through them and please don't confine holiness to sexual sin it goes beyond that holy judgments holy motives holy words holy thinking so how do we live out this holiness how do we live out this holiness how do we live out this holiness first holiness can only be a reality by faith holiness is a reality by faith holiness is a reality by faith if you look at acts 26:18 acts 26:18 you need faith to begin this journey guys acts 26:18 this is um, God's command to Paul and he says to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified 
sanctified us to be made holy. A place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So to be made holy, the first thing that is required... Is this catching here? No, okay. Um, Phoebe? No, right? Okay. Sorry, guys. That was just an interruption. Um, holiness is a reality by faith. So it says in Acts 26, 18, that to be sanctified or to be set apart, you have to start with the basic premise that it is by faith. It is by faith. And the word sanctification, you'll also see it in Colossians 1.22. Colossians 1.22. Let's just go through some scriptures. Colossians 1.22. These are the things that I must receive in faith. Eh? Look at what it says in Colossians 1.22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. These are things that I must receive by faith that he has reconciled me. To reconcile is to have no debts outstanding. Credit sheet and debt sheet are balanced. He has reconciled me by Christ's physical body through death on a cross to present me holy in his sight Uh, okay, if that's, uh, yeah. To present me holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Without blemish and free from accusation. I must stand in this by faith, that I am without blemish, I am free from accusation, I am presented holy before God. This is where I start. Let's look at another scripture, Hebrews 10.10. Hebrews 10.10. 10. Hebrews 10.10. 10. And this is what Jesus did for me, did for you, did for us. That we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We have been made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's where I start. Holiness becomes a reality. Or holiness is a starting point that I have to establish my faith, by faith. That at present I'm presented before God as blameless, as free of accusation, as set apart, as absolutely holy. And that when I talk about absolute holiness, I'm talking about the same holiness that Jesus possesses. One of the ways the word sanctification can be defined is sanctification is Christ in me. Sanctification is Christ in me. And that I draw from Jesus the very holiness that he exhibits. I draw from Jesus the very holiness that he exhibits. That is how I'm presented before the Father. That is how I stand before the Father. That is my permanent position before the Father. That is where I start. 
So that's where we start. Just one sec, guys. Second, holiness is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holiness is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holiness is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holiness is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is, I, I begin this process of walking in holiness by receiving it by faith. Second, holiness is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is he called Holy Spirit? One, because he is holy. Two, because he makes me holy. Holiness is by the power of the Holy Spirit. First Peter verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Let's read from the NIRV. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 2, reading from the NIRV. You have been chosen in keeping with what God the Father had planned. That happened through the Spirit's work to make you pure and holy. Beautifully, you have been chosen in keeping with what God the Father had planned. That happened through the Spirit's work to make you pure and holy. God chose you so that you might obey Jesus Christ. He wanted you to be made clean by the blood of Christ. May more and more grace and peace be given to you. You have been chosen in keeping with what, with what God the Father had planned. That happened through the Spirit's work to make you pure and holy. So it's the work of the Spirit that makes me pure and holy. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 2 Thessalonians 2.13 2 Thessalonians 2.13 Brothers and sisters, reading again from the NIRV. Brothers and sisters, we should always thank God for you. The Lord loves you. God chose you from the beginning. He wanted you to be saved. Salvation comes through the Holy Spirit's work. He makes people holy. Beautifully. So the first part is, I receive holiness by faith. The second part is, the Holy Spirit now begins to produce holiness in me. He does the work. He does the work. The cool thing about resurrection is resurrection allowed God to put the holiness of his son by the Spirit in me. <coughs> death of Jesus Christ destroyed my sin. Resurrection allows God to put the life of his Holy Son in me by the Holy Spirit so that I now belong to a new order. I now belong to a people that contain in them the holiness of God. This is brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. So where do we start? How can the Holy Spirit work really well in me if he wants to bring to pass in me the holiness of God? C guys, the first place you start is begin with an awareness, awareness of whose you are. Begin with an awareness. Begin with an awareness of whose I am. Of whose I am or whose you are. 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 16, 19 and 20. S sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 19 and 20. 
Okay. First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty. First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is in you. You have received him from God. You do not belong to yourself. Christ has paid the price for you, so use your bodies in a way that honors God. Don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is in you. You have received him from God. You do not belong to yourself. Christ has paid the price for you, so use your bodies in a way that honors God. So one of the first things that has to happen is I have to begin to understand whose I am. Who do I belong to? I need to understand that. Whose I am. I'm not my own. This is how I let the Holy Spirit begin to do what he wants to. Begins with an awareness of whose I am. Now this temple does not belong to me. It was purchased. It was bought at a price. It was purchased with holy, holy, priceless, precious blood. Now it belongs to someone else and he has decided to dwell in me. Whose I am is where I begin. How else can I help the Holy Spirit to bring the holiness of God to me? Guys, begin to sustain the work of the Holy Spirit in your life by experiencing the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Begin to dive into the Holy Spirit. The more you like the Holy Spirit, the more you yield to Him, the more you open your, your life to Him, the more He's able to bring the character of Christ into your life. And the chief character of Christ is holiness. It is the essence of deity. Love and holiness, and even love is holy love. It is not the kind of love you find here on earth. 1 Corinthians 2, 10. Dive into the Holy Spirit. He searches the mind of God. He lives in you. You can get to know the benefits of God. Ephesians 3.16 Let the Holy Spirit strengthen you in your inner man so that you can begin to expect beyond what you ask or imagine. The more I dive into the life and the experience of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, the more the Holy Spirit I find myself, the more I find myself opening myself up to the Holy Spirit. The cool thing about God is your experience with God only grows richer as you begin to experience Him more and more. And so at some point we have to decide I'm going to be reckless and abandon myself to God. Not abandon myself to activity. Not abandon myself to theology. But abandon myself to God. As in you can have more, more, more. You can have all, all, all. And as you do, you begin to experience the richness of God. Because there is a never an end to God's more or God's all. It goes on and on and on. Every year you begin to taste Him more. And you think to yourself, man, I thought the Holy Spirit was tasty last year. But my God, He tastes different this year. And you rip open some other part of you and say, have this too. And every time you give anything to the Holy Spirit, it comes back multiplied many times and you end up being richer. This is why I look forward to living here on earth. Every year is going to be richer Our bodies belong to him. It's his property. He knows how to take care of it. With or without bro broccoli. Okay. The third thing 
Yeah. Broccoli helps, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Thousands and thousands of years ago, I'm not sure if this is, uh, can be verified factually or not, broccoli used to be a meat product that over a period of time through fossilization, we had to change shape and uh, ended up looking like it looks now. Moving on. <laughs> Holiness. Holiness is living. One of the, the, how do we live out holiness? Holiness can be lived out by living in the love of God. As in, holiness is living out of the fullness, living out of the fullness, out of the fullness of the love of God. Holiness is living out of the fullness of the love of God. As in, the third way that we can begin to live out holiness is when you follow what Jesus said in John 15, 8 to 10, and Jesus puts it in so well. He, depending on the version you read, it says, remain intimately at home in my love. Remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I have done. And I've kept my father's commands in the bargain and made myself at home in his love. Guys, the thing is, passionate fidelity, passionate fidelity, which is, what, which is just another way of looking at holiness, passionate fidelity is a result of um, love. Any couple that are passionate about each other, that adore each other, that are devoted to each other, will find themselves living uh, out of a holy relationship, that has no other interest, no other seduction, no other trap that can be sprung because passionate fidelity will always end up in a holy relationship. Jesus said this over and over again. Listen, if you want to live a holy life, the way to do it is to be in love with my Father. I am that way. I, I, I remain intimately in my father's love. I made my home in my father's love. Therefore, I do not find it difficult to follow my father's commands. One of the ways to sustain holiness is to be increasingly in love with him because perfect oneness with a holy God is only possible when I'm increasing in my relationship of love with him. And the fourth method to live out a holy life. Holiness, holiness is, requires denying yourself. Requires denying yourself. Holiness requires denying yourself. Holiness requires denying yourself. Denying yourself by training your life differently, denying yourself by obeying when the rest of the world is not obeying, denying yourself by choosing to forgo interests and desires and rights, denying yourself by choosing to bear fruit, as in bear in your life the fruitfulness of Christ the way he is, denying yourself by choosing to please the one you love rather than displease him. Holiness requires a denying of self. 
Holiness requires a denying of self. These are the four requirements for holiness, guys, that the Bible keeps returning to again and again and again. Yeah, uh, Don is asking if I could explain holiness as a reality by faith. What I mean by that is we begin from not I have to become holy. If we begin from I have been made holy. And that is by faith because I have to now trust God in Colossians 1.22 where he says, hey, by the sacrifice and the death of my son on the cross, I have now made you blameless, free of accusation, and you are presented before me always as perfect because with one sacrifice, as it, said, it says in Hebrews 10.10, you have been made holy. And that is by faith. That is where I start. The great thing about Christianity, and no other religion offers it, every other religion offers you things to do so that you can get to the place of acceptance. Christianity starts you from a place of acceptance. But that start can only come through faith. So I have been made holy. How holy? As holy as Jesus. That is where I start. Why am I saying that you have been made as holy as Jesus? Because your holiness is only because of the fact that Christ the Holy One lives in you. And he, we are not drawing from the power of Christ to be holy. We are drawing on the very holiness of Christ because he dwells in me. So that's where we start. And from there we go to, now that I have been made holy, I will sustain it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first step towards sustaining it by the power of the Holy Spirit is to become highly aware of whose I am. Both whose I am and who I've become. Whose am I? I am the Holy Spirit's temple. Whose am I? I have been bought at a price and I no longer belong to myself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. So who does that, who, what does that make me? It makes me a temple. A temple of what? A temple of God himself. Which God? The transcendent, beyond, forever, perfect, straight, eternal, uh, blameless, blazing fire God. His temple I am. And then I begin to experience him more and more. As I begin to experience him more and more, I cannot live without him. You, it's a strange thing. Till you experience something, you do not know whether you like it or not. Once you experience it and you like it, you cannot live without it. Try living without your iPhone, without Facebook, without Instagram nowadays. Try living without it. Live a week without it and you will see how desperate you get. Why? Because you've gotten used to it. You've gotten accustomed to it. You've gotten dependent on it. Hey! The Holy Spirit is saying, why not try me? Become accustomed to me. Become dependent on me. So that without me, you will not know what to do. You, 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 can't, you can't live life. He says, I can also do the beep or the ping. Depend on me. I search the mind of God, Jacob. You want to know the mind of God? You want to know how your father thinks? You want to know what mysteries he wants to uh, open for you? You want to find out things? I am the one who searches his mind. Come, become reckless. Throw yourself onto me. I'll catch you. 
I can do exceedingly greater than you can ask or think or imagine. Try me out. Why do you stop trying when I don't turn up tomorrow? Why do you stop trying when I don't turn up a week from now? Why do you stop trying when I don't turn up a year from now? Don't you know that I'm faithful? That if I say something, I'll bring it to pass? That I'm doing what is required to make you a vessel that can contain what I'm going to pour into you? Why do you give up just because you think I haven't shown up? Because I'm, I've been showing up since the beginning. I don't delay because I want to do you harm. I don't delay because I want to withhold anything from you. You sustain it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The third one is, <laughs> you can only live out holiness if you're deeply in love with the one who is holy. Passionate fidelity be between couples who are adoringly devoted to each other is a result of how much they love each other. How much they love each other. That is what it comes out of. Remain in my love. Remain intimately in my love just as I have remained in my father's love. It allows me then to follow my father's command and I am at home in his love. Perfect oneness with a holy God is impossible without practiced holiness. Perfect oneness with a holy God is impossible without practiced holiness. Do not think that positional holiness will help you experience God here on earth. And like I said, he's already given us a prophetic warning. I will hold you on a short leash when it comes to holiness. Praise the Lord. Shout hallelujah for that. That he will not let you get away with much. Perfect oneness with a holy God, which is what God desires, which is what he's willing to do, is however impossible to experience without practiced holiness not positional holiness practiced holiness you are already holy jacob so now show me how that looks like in actual living you're you've been made holy now show me how that looks in actual living that's what the world is waiting for because i'm supposed to be an image bearer who shows the world the essence of my god where i'm saying look at me i'm the mirror come world look at what my god behaves like well then jacob show them what i behave like be holy in everything and then the fourth one, did she just say Jacob? Fourth one is holiness requires denying yourself. Holiness requires denying yourself. That's his new iPhone 12, by the way. Holiness requires denying yourself. Holiness requires denying yourself. Holiness requires denying yourself. Uh, and uh, we think we can get past holiness without denying and it doesn't work. Holiness requires denying yourself. Holiness is denying yourself. Deny yourself in terms of how you train. Deny yourself in terms of obedience. Deny your interests. Deny your desires. Deny your rights for the sake of a greater cause. Deny yourself so that you may bear more fruit. Pruning must happen. Deny yourself... Uh, the pleasures and the ways of the world giving up opportunities because you know that choosing holiness is far more important 
deny yourself so that you can please the one you love. Let me end with two questions. Let me end with two questions. So here are the two questions. The first question is, the f <laughs> sorry, Phoebe, Phoebe is making, um, Phoebe is having conversations, so I'm laughing at that. Okay, uh, the first question is, let me write it down. Guys, these are not easy to answer. That's the first question. Do you believe that you need to be absolutely holy or pure? Do you believe that you need to be absolutely holy or pure in your walk, in your words, in your thoughts? And don't be surprised if your answer is not absolutely holy. And that saddened me when I tried answering this question. That my answer wasn't, of course, oh God. What else could it be? That wasn't my answer. I was sad about that. My answer was, yeah, we need to be holy. But absolutely holy, absolutely pure. No, I don't aspire to that standard. That's ridiculous. That only God can do. That was my answer. That's the wrong answer. Do you believe you need to be absolutely pure and holy, Jacob? In your walk, in your thoughts, in your words. And the answer is, yes, oh God. I think I need to be absolutely pure pure and holy in my words and thoughts and my walk because you O oh God transcend and separate God who lives within me are absolutely pure and holy in your walk your words and your thoughts for me to settle for less O oh God is so not what I am called to that is the standard we are establishing guys The next question. Just two questions. Second question was For the sake of the audio, I'll keep talking. 
my desire is to place every detail of my life under his scrutiny and sometimes under the scrutiny of others. Am I desirous? Not am I willing? Not am I uh, willing to consider? No, am I desirous? Is it my desire? Am I desirous to place every detail of my life, every thought, every motive, every intent, every word? Am I desirous to place every detail of my life under his scrutiny? This is not that God sees everything. No, no, no. This is you desiring to bring under his scrutiny every detail, every thought, every word, every motive, bringing it before him before it is released from your life. And sometimes desiring that you be scrutinized by someone else because you are not even sure of how well you scrutinize things. Am I desirous to place every detail of my life under his scrutiny and if necessary, uh, under the scrutiny of others? David put it this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me. Test me. See if there be any wicked way in me. This is not that prayer where we say, O oh God, if there are sins of omission and commission and omission and omission, make sure, please, could you forgive me? That, that, that just is this loophole lawyer uh, Christianese that covers every angle so that um, um, you pass your exam or something. We're not talking about that. We're talking about search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. It was a um, please scrutinize my life. Find things, God, that are wrong. And then taking it a step further and taking it before others and saying, hey, scrutinize my life. Is there something? Yeah. I'm done, guys. I don't know how to end this. If you've got any questions, feel free to ask. Yeah. Yeah, so Evan's point is that the first question um, seems unachievable. And that's true. To be absolutely pure and holy without fault is unachievable here on earth. But if that is not the standard set, then uh, it is not a God standard. And therefore, I have to go back to the four points where I receive my holiness by faith, I sustain it by the Holy Spirit, I live it out in love and I deny myself to practice it. But I was surprised at how I didn't even consider that I needed to be absolutely holy and pure. 
it was almost a sense of if I'm better than 90%, that's good enough. But what if the 90% are so bad that my better is pathetic? So I was surprised that my answer wasn't yes, of course. What else did you expect, oh God? And the second one was the scrutiny and the desirous of scrutiny. Oh God, I'm going to do this. What do you think? I'm going to do that. What do you think? I, my heart is set on this. What do you think? I'm desirous of this, but what do you think? This continuous exposing before God and having him interrupt and spoil things that I want. Spoil things for the better. And then putting the same thing under the scrutiny of others saying, what do you think? This is what I think. This is what I think God said, but what do you think? This is the training part, eh? This is the training part. It's okay. This is the training part. I'm done, so you can roam around. Uh, someone keep an eye on her, though. I don't know how to end, so let's just think for a moment and end this. Father, I just ask that could you piece everything together? If I haven't taught the best I could, could you just by just sheer grace uh, cause this teaching to penetrate lives and cause holiness to begin to rise in my heart and our hearts? How do you want us to end, O oh God? How do you want us to end? Father, I think you want us to answer the first question. We'll end with that. Father, your question is, hey, do you, Jacob, believe? Do you, Sue, believe? Do you, Joan, believe? Do you, Tuni, believe that you need to be absolutely holy and pure in your walk, thoughts, and words? So today, Father, we break every, uh, every limit that we have put on holiness, every comparison that we have put on holiness. I want to be as holy as, or I will be holier than. I want to put an end to that today. I want to put an end to that today. I wish I had some way to demonstrate that, Father. Do we have a stick that I can break? No. Okay. Father, so in the name of Jesus Christ, I literally break the limit I have set on how holy I should be. I break it. And I go for the absolute holiness and purity in my walk, in my thought life, in my motives and intents, in my words. Absolute holy, holiness and purity. That is now going to be our standard, our high bar, our ceiling. That is, it. That is what it's going to be. So could you hold this church to that? Could you hold this church to that? I'm bringing the church to you and saying, this is a church that you paid in blood for. This is a church that is supposed to be a set-apart holy people. This is a church that is supposed to house a transcendent, perfect, blameless, holy God. And so we change our standards. We change our, 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 our upper limit. We say we want to be absolutely pure and holy in words, thoughts, intents, motives, actions, we want to be absolutely holy and pure. Hold us to that standard. This is how I want to end today.
Please, Holy Spirit, help us. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Let's end there, guys. I'm half thinking, hey, I'm half thinking of a song, but uh, I'm wondering whether we can just let it be and end there. Because I can't think of a song that could capture all this. Can you?